You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Julie Larson Brisher, Science and Technology Editor for Meeting Place Magazine. Welcome to episode 25 of Meeting Pod, where we're talking the marriage of culinary arts and food science known as culinology and poultry processing food safety with Dr. John Marcy, professor and poultry processing extension specialist with the Center of Excellence for Poultry Science at the University of Arkansas. John's expertise in practical food safety and food science applications is widely recognized. Early in his career, John was a director of quality control for Portion Troll Foods, a manufacturing division of Denny's Restaurants. He also worked in production management and quality assurance for Swift and & Company and Jerome Foods, and has been an assistant professor and extension food scientist at Virginia Tech. John also served four years on the National Advisory Committee for Meat and Poultry Inspection. He prepared the first HACCP training manual for the Educational Foundation of the National Restaurant Association and was a founding member of the Retail Food Safety Consortium. At University of Arkansas, John offers HACCP and advanced HACCP training as well as training on sanitation for processing personnel. And he conducts the HACCP Roundtable, which provides for open dialogue between USDA's FSIS Springdale District Management and HACCP personnel from the poultry and meat industry. He's also an integral part of the University of Arkansas Online Master's Program in Food Safety. Now, I'm especially pleased to have John on the show today to find out more about product innovation and the field of culinology, especially as it relates to poultry and meats. Since 2005, John has conducted culinary workshops for food companies such as Tyson Foods and Simmons Foods and in conjunction with the Research Chefs Association to enable product developers to earn recognition as a certified culinary scientist. In fact, among his most recent honors, the Research Chefs Association awarded him a President's Award in 2019 in recognition of his years of service. And John was named the 2019 Industry Leader of the Year by the Poultry Federation. Welcome to Meeting Pod, John. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest on the podcast today. Well, I'm tickled to be here, Julie. Thank you for this honor. Great. Well, you know, I'm excited to get the scoop on what looks to be the only public offering of culinology training courses in the country. Would you tell us a little bit more about the Research Chefs Association and what culinology is all about and what drew you and the University of Arkansas to offer training in this field? Happy to. And in fact, you know, 2021 is the 25th anniversary of the founding of the Research Chefs Association. It's an organization of about 2,000 members. It started with the research chefs who was a fairly small group to start with. They were chefs who used to work in kitchens, restaurants, and food companies started hiring them. People like Tyson, but they were a fairly small group. And I guess they didn't get the credit that they were used to getting with the American Culinary Federation. They weren't doing that anymore. And they were thinking, you know, we need to do something. We, we're good chefs. And, and they really are. And what they were offering to people like Tyson and 
Frito-Lay and PepsiCo and what they brought to the table with the, the food technologists and product development is something pretty special. And so they've figured out that if you look at how menus were developing 25 years ago, the Food Network, Mario Batali, you know, food was really ramping up to be something special. And so the game became much different. They wanted to make it special too. So the research chefs were founded and it's actually a lot more food technologists in it than chefs, but it's geared to where the chefs run it. And, and that's how it was formed. And it's that blending, that culinology, it's the blending of culinary and food science. There is a, a certification path for the chefs to be certified research chefs, and they have to learn food science, which is a lot tougher. And then the food scientists have to learn culinary. And a lot of it's just terminology and, and what they mean. And so that's a lot of what we teach here at the university. Well, it sounds now, exciting because I think it might be the only training program of its kind. We're really the only one real still offering a public course. Yeah. But it didn't start out that way. The uh, Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park used to offer classes. I don't think they do anymore, but they actually still do private courses. They will send chefs into like PepsiCo. They're in New York State. They will do private classes for Pepsi. They will send chefs other places. There's a long story of how I got involved with doing it with Tyson. And it actually goes back to when I was here in, first came to Arkansas. You know, I did a lot of retail food safety when I was in Virginia. That's how I got involved with the National Restaurant Association and I developed a, a training course with the Extension people, home economists in, in Extension, partnered with uh, the health department in Virginia and did food service manager certification in Virginia. And that's part of how I got hired here in Arkansas. And I developed a partnership in Arkansas as well for home economists at the county level to partner with the health department to do training in Arkansas. And so I was part of the uh, hospitality association here in Arkansas, and I was always at the trade show in Little Rock, and I'd have a booth down there. And I was put together with a chef from uh, the Chef John Foles School at uh, Nichols State. And the chef there, the dean, was a founding member of RCA. His name was Jerry Chesser, and he was on the certification commission for RCA. And I had insider knowledge in 2003 that they were getting ready to drop the requirement for a certified culinary scientist from 320 hours, which was like six months, down to 120 hours, which was three weeks. And so I said, now that's doable. See, almost no, no one was getting that certification for a certified culinary scientist. You almost had to quit your job. So they made it possible that in, in 2004, I knew they were in the spring of 2005, they were going to drop it down to doable, 120 hours of hands-on training. Right. And so January of 2005, I proposed to Tyson that we start a program. And that was the same time that Bob Love had re was retiring from senior vice president and Hal Carper was coming on from Food Brands America to take over. 
and he had a fine dining experience. That was his background. He'd been head of product development at the Eastern Airlines, and Craig Bacon was moving up as senior vice president. And he not only wanted one class, he wanted the whole program. Oh, man. Uh, And it just took off. He said, not only do we want to start, we want to finish. The goal was have 70 people certified by the time the, the Discovery Center was finished. We set the program. We started the the uh, fundamentals. And then they brought in a chef from Johnson & Wells in Providence, Rhode Island, to do the other two classes here at the University of Arkansas. So you know, we did over a seven-year period, 25 weeks of classes, and put 90 people through the program. Wow. It was a good ride, (laughs) you know, from 2005 through 2012. And at the same time, I did classes with Simmons. And then in 2009, I started offering them publicly to other folks because I knew someday Tyson would be done. Right, right. So that's how that started. But all because I knew Jerry Chester, I knew ahead of time that was going from 320 to 120 hours and it became workable. Well, I know, I know you're working up for a workshop next month called Global Advanced Culinary Arts for Food Technologists. And I correct. So (laughs) can you give me a little insight into what are you teaching these courses? Who's the audience? And the agenda that you sent me, it looks absolutely mouthwatering. <laughs> well, it, it is. Now, you know, one day we, we do Western Med, which is, you know, Spain, Italy, Northern Africa, Tunisia, Morocco. And then the second day is Eastern Med, which is Greece and Israel and Jordan. Third day is Creole. Fourth day is Asia. We think of New Orleans, but that's not Creole. Creole is the Atlantic Rim. You know, you, the slave trade, you start with uh, Eastern Africa and into South America and into the Caribbean and then to New Orleans and the Carolinas and Southeastern U.S. That is Creole. And then Asian is the fourth day. And then on the last day, they're given a mystery basket and then they're assigned a cuisine that they have to put into one of those flavors. They have to take what they've learned and put it into that without a recipe. Wow, that's a delicious final exam, I would say. (laughs) Well, they have to take what they've known. And typically, they've already had the other courses as well. Plus, there's always a chef there. We have a different research chef every day. So we're, we're using the local Northwest Arkansas research chefs that are here working at Simmons and Tyson's and Newlyweds and Griffith Foods and Pepper Source. Each day we have a different chef from industry as a chef instructor that know what these people need to learn. But these are all food scientists working in industry across the country, coming in from Chicago and Denver and locally. Missouri, we got a couple coming from Chicago but they come from all over the country and Canada here for three classes to get their 120 hours. We we offer three different 40-hour classes. Right. What have you found over the years? You've given so many of these classes now. What have you found to be the most surprising or interesting interactions or questions from the industry participants in the workshops 
that you would consider a teachable or an aha moment? Well, most of them are scientists. Most of them actually do like to cook. Some of them don't work in the kitchen at all. But the ones that like to cook really get into it and they really want to be challenged. The ones who don't like to cook struggle, but they're there for a reason. The ones that like to be challenged really flourish. They all embrace what we really teach in the fundamentals is in order to really do it well is mise en place. Be, be prepared. Put everything in its place. Gather your ingredients. Read the recipe three times. Make sure you know what you got and have it ready for you. If they learn that early, they usually succeed well. We make sure the knives are sharp before they get here, and we provide the knives. We try to make sure they're safe. They really enjoy working with the chefs. They really enjoy learning the terminology. The companies are putting in a lot of money. These are about $2,000 a week. And so the companies are spending a lot of money, and it's usually on their promotion criteria to get promoted. So they're not taking it lightly. What are they getting out of it? I mean, like, let's say you sign up, you're from a large meat or poultry company, for example, and you've signed up for the workshop. What's the thing you're getting out of it? Are you learning how to do better product development or some sort of R&D or, you know, innovation and formulating? I mean, what, what insight are you getting from those chefs, right, that helps inform you do your job better? Probably not. That's not something we can teach. What they're learning is to be more confident when they're making presentations. They're learning how to speak with the chefs they're already working with. Mm-hmm. It actually makes the chefs that they're working with more confident in what they know. They're looked at different once they finish these courses. The chefs give them more respect. Yeah. And that goes a long way. Let me let me assure you, when they get into meetings with chefs, they're looked at differently. Yeah. The chefs will respect them more once they have that jacket that says they're a certified culinary scientist because they've had the training and they've passed the test. They've got recognition that they know something about what a chef knows. Right. So it's a different level of respect. One of the things that Hal Carper, who was the group vice president, he said no longer did they enter into a corporate presentation and put down a a paper plate with toothpicks. (laughs) You know, that never happens anymore. Presentations were very respectable. Product came to market much quicker. Cuttings were much more professional. Everything's done at a much higher level. So products come to market faster and it's more professionalism. Right. Yeah, but no, we're not teaching product development. We're teaching culinary. But if you look at both the food service industry, you know, even McDonald's, everything they do is a culinary event. At every level of the business, everything's at a higher level, no matter what price point you're at. The whole whole food service industry has changed no matter where you're at. Everybody expects a different culinary experience no matter what you're paying. Right. I want yeah. to switch gears just a little bit here and okay. talk about another area of your expertise, which is food safety. And okay. uh, we'll talk about it in terms of poultry processing operations. It, it's always a hot topic, but what would you say today are the most pressing challenges 
that poultry processors are facing and why? They haven't changed, nor are they likely to. The one that, you know, probably, and this has nothing, it's not particular to poultry. There's been a, a fairly significant change, I think, in, in the terms of how USDA looks at foreign material. We're now at zero tolerance for any level, zero defect. And I can't blame them. I mean, it is what it is, and it's not on the ingredient statement, so there you go. It's a matter of fact statement. If it's not on the label, get it out. It's put up or shut up, and that's just how we got to deal with it. But zero is hard to define the closer you get, and that's just a fact of life. You got to do it right the first time. Salmonella and Campylobacter performance standards, they're with us, and we're still dealing with raw meat and poultry. I don't know how it's going to break. I've been looking at Campylobacter for a long time. I've been to New Zealand where Campylobacter is a real deal. And here, you look at Campylobacter, it hadn't changed in 20 years. The Campylobacter in people. We've not melt healthy people 2010. We haven't melt the healthy people 2020. We're not seeing any real differences in people. We're not seeing any decline. It's actually going up a little bit because of the way they measure it. I don't see any great changes going on. I don't think we're going to see any change in performance. I don't see any change. Most countries would be happy to have the level we already have. We're chasing a elusive performance. So I don't know what else we're going to do there. I'd like to say that we can do better with some salmonella species, but chasing a percent positive doesn't give us the right tools. Making certain species an adulterant, to me, is a non-starter. I don't think we can manage an industry like that. I mean, it's just, I don't think we can do that and have raw chicken in a marketplace. So I'm hoping that with the new administration, everything I've read about the the new deputy undersecretary, that the person is a negotiator, that she can talk with both sides. And hopefully, I don't know how the performance standards will come out. But I'm hoping that there is room to work toward common sense because at the end of the day, it's still raw meat and poultry. And at the end of the day, you still got to cook it to make it safe. Right. And I know that's not politically correct, but well, you, know, you still got to eat. Well, yeah, you're you're right. And, and we're heading into this post-pandemic, you know, world that everyone calls the new normal, but no one really knows what the new normal means for things that we're getting play, like declaring salmonella an adulterant or holding up line speeds and, and looking at those from a regulatory perspective. That was the before times, but we're now in the new normal. And so you don't really know. So what do you think are going to be the main drivers of poultry and meat product innovation from a science and tech standpoint, do we have methods to improve innovation while still in this somewhat uncertain regulatory environment? With the pandemic over, I'm not sure where we're going to be with labor. We got to figure out labor issues and whether in food safety, as we get the new normal, labor issues will be real as people go back to work or get back to work, and if we have enough jobs, the labor issues will be different from the food safety issues, or maybe part and parcel of the food safety, you know, 
I'm hoping we can deal with those separately, but they may be part and parcel of the same ones. I don't know. You know, as people go back to work, there may not be enough labor. They may be part and parcel of the same ones. I can't tell you they're separate. I worry about those as people go back to work. In the restaurant industry, they can't get enough labor either. And we haven't gotten to harvesting crops yet. That'll be another one. So we've got the same issues we always have. The same one with salmonella in par-cooked, appears cooked chicken. That one's up there. I wish we could settle that. But until we teach people how to cook chicken and use a thermometer, I wish we could get microwaves out of the home, but we can't. <laughs> you know, or air fryers. Even air fryers don't always cook product internally as well. Yeah. You know, there are certain products that are harder to cook in the home. And partially cooked chicken's one of them. Or stuffed chicken. Right. Yeah. That's problematic. Yeah. Well, John, um, I've had a great time talking with you today. And I can thank you for sharing your expertise with us. And listeners, if, if you'd like to learn more about the University of Arkansas's Culinary Arts for Food Technologists workshops, please visit the university's Department of Poultry Science website at poultry-scienceuark.edu. There you'll also find more information about degree and extension programs, resources for processors, and the Center of Excellence for Poultry Science. Or visit the Research Chefs Association website at colonology.org. Be sure to head on over to meetingplace.com where you'll find our daily news, technical articles, podcasts, and digital magazine archives. And thanks again, John. You know, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you this summer. I know you're going to AMSA's uh, Reciprocal Meat Conference in Reno, and it looks like it's going to be old home week for all of us. I wish you safe travels and hopefully we can share some lunch together. You can, you can show me some tips about culinary excellence and maybe throw a little dash of food science in there. There we go. I look forward to being anywhere in person. Oh, I know. At Reno in particular. Right. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks for spending time with meeting pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net. <laughs>